American Pharaoh was robbed. Yes. Oh, yes. American Pharaoh. The horse was robbed. A sportsman of the year. It went to Serena Williams. That took over my timeline for an entire day. It was just horse talk on my timeline and then whoosh, just vanished. It was like a supernova of social media activity all about a horse. For less than 24 hours, it was a period of, say, 17 hours. We'll call it 17 hours. My entire social media timeline was inundated with horse talk. And then the very next day, whoosh, disappeared, vanished, dissipated into the air like it never existed. This horse talk on to real sports. Yes. Real sports? What? Animals are people too. Really? Okay. Wait, wait, I'm outraged. Yo, no, American Pharaoh, he should have won the Sportsman of the Year for Sports Illustrated. As if anyone cares about that anymore. No one gets Sports Illustrated delivered to their house anymore, do they? Do you? Do you get Sports Illustrated delivered to your house still? It used to be that everyone that was a sports fan had Sports Illustrated mailed to their house. Does anyone still do that? Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Do you still have Sports Illustrated delivered to your house? I don't. And I don't know why anyone cares who wins Sportsman of the Year. Typically, the Sportsman of the Year is handed to someone who is going to maximize clicks, maximize sales. That award is meant to be provocative, not necessarily accurate. I mean, really? I love how awards are given out based on a political process that's imperfect. Even championships are given to teams using a playoff format that's imperfect. The best team every year does not always win the championship, and yet we're always dissecting the accuracy of the outcome of the award as if some scientific process was instituted to generate the optimal result. And then we're scientists in there tweaking the formula. Oh, really? Well, if she had had one more major victory or one less major victory, then Serena would have been on equal footing with American Pharaoh. But because American Pharaoh is not a human being, we have to count his victories 0.75 less than a Grand Slam championship. But then again, Serena has one more chance to win a Grand Slam championship because in her sport, there are four Grand Slam events. In American Pharaoh's sport, there's only three quote-unquote Grand Slam type events in the Triple Crown. So we need to give American Pharaoh a premium for his victories. God, stop it! That was my timeline for an entire day. I'm so happy to just wake up on a Wednesday and just read gibberish about the NFL. I'm so happy that this is where we're at. Either gibberish analysis predicting what's going to happen even though we can't predict what's going to happen how the game flow is gonna go on sunday and matchup x oh yeah good luck with that or injury news of course there's injury news on wednesdays 75 percent of players in the nfl didn't practice on wednesday or were limited because they play a gladiator sport and i'm surprised they're still out there walking around in practice even i'm surprised most of them aren't on some sort of motorized scooter going through the drills on wednesday given the types of collisions they have to endure on sunday but no i'm not upset that american pharaoh didn't win the sportsman of the year from sports illustrated if i had to take a step back and analyze the accuracy of the award did serena williams deserve to win that award i'm a sports radio personality that is my job that's what sports radio personalities do we give opinions and if we don't have an opinion we make something up so it can seem like we have an opinion we have to have some sort of 
strident point of view about every event in sports, right? That's what we have to do that. We can't just shrug our shoulders. Get off the microphone if you're just going to shrug your shoulders. So thinking about Serena Williams, I will say I think that Serena Williams has to be in the conversation for greatest female athlete of all time. And if she's the greatest female athlete of all time or one of the top three, then it makes sense that in one of those years of her career, she would be awarded Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year or Sportswoman of the Year. That just makes sense to me. So happy that she won. That's it. Oh, but American Pharaoh did something that hadn't been done in decades. He won three horse races in a row. Yes. Yes, that's a big deal, you know. To win three horse races in a row, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Oh, wait, that's right. It's a horse. It's a horse. Not even a person. That was the worst day for sports Twitter. Monday, the conversation about American Pharaoh being more deserving of Sportsman of the Year than Serena Williams. Definitely the greatest female athlete of my generation. That's a certainty. But the merits of the award aside, I will say that if I had to analyze this, if I had to, to choose between Serena Williams and American Pharaoh, that I, I am biased. I wouldn't be a very good judge because I have conflicting biases in play. I was raised on a horse farm. My parents are horse racing people. So I see the value in horse racing. I'm not one of these people that wants horse racing abolished. I grew up around horses and it's something that I appreciate. I mean, being at a race with my mother and having your mother's horse, your family horse, coming down the stretch, there's the number five American Pharaoh. He's coming on the outside. He's taking over the lead. He's out by two legs. Like, you have an announcer blaring that in the grandstand, and you can see it happening, and you can hear the hoofbeats hitting the turf as those horses come around the bend and come down the backstretch. And your mother is sitting down quietly, politely, and then out of nowhere, it's like she shot out of a cannon. As your horse takes to the outside and starts to gain ground on the leaders, your mother jumps up out of her chair. Like there's a bottle rocket in her ass. Jumps up out of the chair. And you're holding her hand. So she jumps up out of the chair and breaks your hand with her vice grip. That's been my horse racing experience. That is the best horse racing experience you could ask for. The worst is when your mother is sitting there dejected, the horse never fires, comes around the bend, and you have to look at her and you're know, sorry and console her. And, and that's unfortunate. That's sad. But the opposite, when you have a thrilling victory and you can experience it with the horse owner and she's holding her hand, crushing it as just euphoria washes over her in those moments when the horse is gaining ground and takes the lead and ends up crossing the finish line in first place, that is a feeling that I wish everyone could experience with their parents. It's amazing. So I absolutely appreciate horse racing. I would love to see a horse win, even though it's a horse. But here's my other bias that's in play. The other bias that's in play is that, whew, I'm a Serena Williams guy. I am in the tank for Serena Williams. Just when you think about males and females being attracted to one another, yeah, yeah, there's something in that Serena Williams prototype that aligns with my sensibilities as a man. I am also a tennis person, so there's another bias in play. I love tennis, I play tennis more than any other sport, so I would love to see a tennis player win, and if that tennis player 
who is one of the great athletes of our generation, also happens to be attractive, well, then I guess no one would be able to go up against Serena Williams. I guess every athlete that would go up against Serena Williams, doesn't matter if it's a horse, doesn't matter if it's Aaron Rodgers at the peak of his powers. If I were a judge, if I had to give out this award and Serena Williams had just won three out of the four Grand Slam championships and she came walking in, I was like, oh, yes, so we're going to go ahead and give her the championship. Yeah, I think that... uh, I appreciate you, Mr. Rogers. You've done a great job in the swirl of violence. Feats of athletic brilliance I've never seen out of a position that also requires both mental and physical acumen and great leadership skills. You embody all of those things, Mr. Rogers. I understand that, but this Serena Williams... (laughs) Sorry! Just a blubbering fool. So, sorry, American Pharaoh, but there's some serious biases here that override even those intense nostalgia forces that are at play. All those reasons why we root for the teams of our childhood and the stars of our childhood. And we take our children to sporting events, even though they want nothing to do with those particular sports. Well, I did that with my dad and I want to relive that. The power of nostalgia is hugely powerful. And with something like horse racing, that's in play with me. But there's this other force of nature that is the overriding force. And that overriding force will always win. I think that was enough blatant misogyny for one show. Now, back to football. And I'm not going to go through the box scores. Every week we talk about, oh, this is the week we go through last week's box scores. This is the week we do it. Is this the week we do it? Of course not. What? I'll look at one box score with you. I'll give you that one time. You can ask me once. One time, Kay. You can ask me about my business. You can ask me about my affairs. One time. One time, Roto Underworld Minions. You can ask me about last week's box score. And I will talk about it. The box score from last week that I want to talk about. Texans Patriots. Because in that box score... The thing I was most interested by, most excited about, was what I didn't see. The thing that didn't exist. The name that didn't appear. The numbers that didn't accrue. The utter lack of the name Alfred Blue in that box score made me so happy. Made me giddy. Again, not as giddy as seeing Serena Williams win Sportsman or Sportsperson of the Year. That was the heights of euphoria for me. But second place would have to be not seeing Alfred Blue in the box score anywhere. No carries. No receptions. No no targets. No No nothing. Not a snap! He was active! It wasn't like he was inactive. It wasn't like they declared it inactive, and they said, you know what, Alfred Blue? Here's what we're going to do, buddy. Take a seat on the bench for a game. Relax. Wear sweats. Wear a baseball cap. Just watch. You need to take a game off. We're going to go ahead and deactivate you. He's like, okay, coach, that's fine. I understand. I haven't been playing well. (laughs) Understatement. No, that's not what happened. No, they said, Alfred Blue, you're active. Put your pads on. Get your shoes laced up. Put that helmet on. Stand on the sidelines. And never go in the game. (laughs) That was so great. Didn't play a snap. And that was an insult to him. I'm sure it was. I'm sure he felt insulted. Who wouldn't? I'm going to dress for the game and you're not going to play me a snap? 
but Alfred Blue shouldn't feel bad. I mean, the natural reaction is going to be, I feel bad. But his natural reaction shouldn't be anger or frustration. Alfred Blue's natural reaction should be thankfulness. Because never at any point did Alfred Blue deserve to be on an NFL roster. We've had this conversation on multiple shows. Alfred Blue's utter lack of college productivity and athleticism is shocking. It's absolutely shocking that he was drafted. And it was even more shocking that he rose to the top of an NFL depth chart. I mean, that is the upset of the century. We were more likely to see a horse win the Triple Crown in any given year than see a running back with Alfred Blue's profile on playerprofiler.com. Go to Alfred Blue. If you haven't done it already, just go there to see what you don't want to see in a running back. Be more likely to see a Triple Crown winner than to see a profile like that make it to the top of a running back depth chart at the NFL level. It was it was amazing to see. It was amazing and bewildering and befuddling to see Alfred Blue atop the Texans depth chart. And we lamented it and we lamented it and we lamented it because the best running back on that roster is Jonathan Grimes. Jonathan Grimes is better in all phases of football than both Chris Polk and Alfred Blue. Between the tackles running, outside the tackles running, in the passing game, pass blocking, everything. Jonathan Grimes is better than them at everything. The Texans still haven't figured that one out because they're still playing Chris Polk. Less snaps, but more carries. So slowly but surely, it's taken the whole season for this to happen, but slowly but surely, the Texans are figuring out who their best running back is. It's only taken them 16 weeks! What? And I talked last Friday on the Football Die Hard show to Jonathan Bales. And we talked about what value we as analytics people could bring to an NFL franchise on draft day. And I didn't say that we should be making the final decision between do you take Odell Beckham Jr. or do you take Mike Evans? I would be fine letting the football people make that final decision. What we can help them do is win in the second half of the draft. Win on day three. We can help the Seahawks avoid drafting Kevin Norwood. We can help the Texans avoid drafting Alfred Blue and give them better options with higher probabilities of success at the NFL level. We can give them the numbers. They can take those numbers and do what they want with those numbers. But that would be the the great value, I think, that we could provide as analytics people to NFL franchises, just to help them not make mistakes and burn draft picks, especially in day three. Now, one draft pick that was a, I think it was a day three draft pick, fifth round, Denard Robinson, that was a great draft pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Jacksonville Jaguars have actually employed analytics in their decision-making. You wouldn't know it based on their record, but they have. And they've made some good decisions in those later rounds in recent years. That's why that team is trending in the right direction. And one great example of that is Denard Robinson, because Denard Robinson didn't have college production to demonstrate to anyone. He played quarterback at Michigan. And yet, if you look at Denard Robinson's profile, 4-4-3, 92nd percentile speed for a running back. Also, 123.6 burst score. That combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into one equally weighted metric on playerprofiler.com. 73rd percentile burst score. So he's a big-time athlete. He also has average agility. So he doesn't have any red flags in those workout boxes. Denard Robinson is an explosive athlete. And we just didn't know if he could run the ball well. He was a quarterback. But in the fifth round, you take that chance. 
you take a chance on that upper echelon athlete at the position and then just hope that he has the necessary instincts and nuances to play the position at a high level. And I believe that Denard Robinson does have that ability. I think Denard Robinson is a better all-around running back than TJ Yeldon. But because Denard Robinson was a fifth-round pick and because TJ Yeldon was an early second-round pick, TJ Yeldon this year and next year is going to get priority touches for that offense strictly based on the draft capital and the investment the organization has made. The Jags want to give TJ Yeldon every opportunity to succeed, because of that draft pick investment. It's the sunk cost paradox that infects all of these NFL franchises, some more than others. You have some hyper-rational NFL franchises that are quick to walk away from second and third round picks. Look at the Patriots. People always wondered why they didn't give Aaron Dobson more reps with the first team offense. Well, because Aaron Dobson isn't a good wide receiver. They figured that out pretty quickly, and they didn't risk losing NFL games because they were playing Aaron Dobson a high snap share. The Patriots, as we all know, are a hyper-rational football team. Other teams are less rational, more emotional, and they get ensnared in this draft capital sunk cost paradox more easily and for a longer duration. So we will see next year how long Jacksonville sticks with TJ Yeldon. And I'm talking about sticking in a bell cow role. I'm not saying TJ Yeldon shouldn't be playing. He should be playing. But I think Denard Robinson is better in the passing game. And in passing situations, two-minute drill, I would rather have Denard Robinson on the field to help give my team a better chance to win. Now, if you look at Denard Robinson's game log from 2014, it's exciting. When he was thrust into a starting role, week 7, 2014 against Cleveland, 18.7 fantasy points. Then he had 12 fantasy points. Then 18 fantasy points. Then 19 fantasy points. He was a producer for the least efficient offense in the NFL last season when called upon. Now, Denard Robinson is the starting running back for a Jaguars team that is much more prolific than it was last year. So instead of a ceiling set at 20 points, which is what it was set at last year for Denard Robinson, I think Denard Robinson's ceiling this year in week 15, 16, 17 is 30 points. That's why I'm playing Denard Robinson in redraft, in daily cash games and tournament games. I think Denard Robinson is just an across-the-board play because he has a high floor, he has a 10-point floor based on the fact that he will receive 20 touches in a high-volume offense, that equates to a 10-point floor, even if he wasn't a great athlete, which he is. But because he's such a good athlete, and he's so great in all phases, it pushes his ceiling, especially up into that 30-point echelon. And if he delivers and comes close to that ceiling, it will be interesting to see what happens in the offseason, and what happens at the beginning of next season, if he outproduced TJ Yeldon when called upon, what do the Jacksonville Jaguars do? Does that draft capital sunk cost paradox override the performance on the field? So that's something I will be interested in watching as these weeks and months unfold. But for this week, for week 15, I am picking up Denard Robinson. I'm spending my remaining free agent auction money on Denard Robinson and I am plugging him in, and I believe he is a strong RB2 play this week with number one running back in the league upside because of his explosive athleticism 
and the the prolificness that has become the Jacksonville offense. Now, Buzzard writes in, speaking of game manager quarterbacks, what do you do with the Bengals and A.J. McCarron? Well, it's a good question. Thanks for that, Buzzards. Appreciate that question. What do we do with the Bengals? <sighs> Here's my take. I like A.J. McCarron, and I had to take a big breath in. <sighs> breath out before I said, I like A.J. McCarron because A.J. McCarron is an interesting character. He's not easy to like. He seems smug. He has a smug looking face. He's just one of those people that's difficult to like before he even speaks. And I know this because I have that face. I have a smug looking face. People have told me I am difficult to like. People have told me that when they first saw me, they didn't think they were going to like me. That I don't look approachable. That I look like a jerk even before I've spoken a syllable. So I get it, A.J. McCarron. I understand what he's dealing with. The problem for A.J. McCarron is exacerbated by Google. Because when you go to Google, it's hilarious. Go to Google and just start typing in A.J. McCarron and see what choices the smart people at Google, because that's what Google's goal is. Google's goal is artificial intelligence. To know what you're going to ask before you ask it. To have the answers ready for you before you even ask the question. That's Google's real goal. And to minimize the number of clicks once you search for that thing you're searching for to get the answer you need. Google is trying really hard to be smart and to be efficient and to be helpful, and they do a great job of it. I mean, they're, they're Google, for Christ's sake. Of course they're good at it. So you type in A.J. McCarron, and the search results are as follows. A.J. McCarron girlfriend, A.J. McCarron wife, A.J. McCarron tattoo, A.J. McCarron mom. No A.J. McCarron touchdown. No A.J. McCarron championship. <laughs> right? No A.J. McCarron greatness. All just ancillary components of A.J. McCarron's life taking over and defining who he is, and that has to be frustrating. We know all about A.J. McCarron's girlfriend. A.J. McCarron is famous for having an attractive girlfriend. The theme of today's show is attractive females influencing sports in some way. Serena Williams, best tennis player ever, and my affinity for her is multiplied by her sexuality. AJ McCarron, his girlfriend's sexuality dominated an entire television broadcast of a high-profile football game. That happened. That happened. It was amazing. I was watching that game, and I had my second screen, my iPad up, watching my timeline as that game was going on. It was great. It's one of the great reasons why you have to now have your iPhone or iPad in front of you while you're watching sporting events. You have to do it. To not do it would be to miss out on something potentially great. Because during that broadcast, the play-by-play -play announcer, Brent Musburger, the the musty Brent Musburger. I love how his name is Musburger, which sounds like musty. The word musty is in the word Musburger. It's unbelievable. He is musty. If you want to Google Brent Musburger, that's what musty looks like. During the broadcast, they started zooming in on A.J. McCarron's girlfriend at the time. I think he's now married to her. So they, they've been married. Congratulations, A.J. And the cameramen do this lecherous thing where they zoom in on the attractive females with super slow-mo, and it's creepy. It's really creepy. I mean, if you 
were the boyfriend of one of these women who's being zoomed in on, or you were the father of one of these ladies that's being zoomed in on, I mean, you wouldn't feel comfortable. It's lecherous and it's creepy. I mean, this is for a major network, CBS, ABC, ESPN, zooming in on the cleavage of a co-ed. Just think about that next time. So anyway, they do that. The sportscasters in the booth are playing along. They love it. Brent Musburger goes, you quarterbacks, you get all the good looking women. Whoa. Okay. What a beautiful woman that is. He just keeps going. He didn't just stop there and then oh there's a play going on there's a football game brent second and five no he just continues continues to stare as the camera continues to slowly zoom 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 wow kirk herbstreet says wow right she is attractive i mean she's not serena williams attractive but she's attractive and then gratuitously musburger chimes in with another whoa it's, it's, all that's happening, imagine, all that's happening, in your mind's eye, think about it, all that's happening is the camera is just slowly zooming in on this one 22-year-old person. AJ's doing some things right down there in Tuscaloosa, Herb Street said. <laughs> Musburger continued with the gratuitous commentary about AJ McCarron's then-girlfriend. If you're a youngster in Alabama, start getting into football now. Go out there and throw it around the backyard with your pop. Like, thanks, Brent, for that life advice. My goal in life is to get a hottie. And that is a goal for all of us, really. All of us men. Yes, if you had us on Truth Serum, one of our life goals is to be with a truly hot woman. I mean, that is true. This is the theme of this show is us just sitting back and admitting that these forces influence our decision-making, influence our behavior, influence our preferences, influence everything about what we do as men. I mean, this is stating the obvious, I guess. Women know this more than the men do, actually. And then A.J. McCarron's mom goes to Twitter. This is unbelievable. And while Jameis Winston is speaking, she tweets live. Am I listening to English? Then she had to come out and apologize for that. And then through it all, A.J. McCarron thinks it's a good idea to get an arm tattoo, a full sleeve tattoo. That's pretty cool, by the way. The sleeve tattoo. Always in the back of my mind, I've always thought, wow, I wish I was cool enough to have a sleeve tattoo. I'm just not cool enough. With A.J. McCarron, I'm not sure the sleeve tattoo works because he has that douchey face like I have. So we both have that, that douchey face that just exudes condescension and it's just difficult to take that person seriously with an arm tattoo with a full sleeve tattoo i should say arm tattoo's fine arm tattoo who doesn't have an arm tattoo now but the full sleeve tattoo is still an outlier you still don't see that very often and again you see it very 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 rarely on the arm of someone with aj mccarron's face so that's aj mccarron we just spent 10 minutes talking about A.J. McCarron without talking about his skills playing football. You see what I'm saying? This is what I'm saying. This has to be a perpetual frustration for A.J. McCarron. It has to be. He's like, guys, hello. Hey, everybody. I'm actually really good at football, you know. My mom's crazy. My wife is really hot. I made a really bad decision with my tattoos. It's kind of beside the point. Aren't you interested in whether or not I can play football? I threw a pick six last week. Is that good? <laughs> right? right? Can imagine him just so frustrated. So what about AJ McCarron? 
I like AJ McCarron. Whether or not he has full arm sleeve tattoos, a crazy mom, and a hot wife or not. And you might say, well, AJ McCarron, he's six foot tall. He's not, he's not big enough. He has small hands. Nine and one-eighth of an inch hands. Well, he has bigger hands than Ryan Tannehill. We'll start there. So he's got that. And he's small. He is. He's six foot tall. He's not big. You know who else is six foot tall? Drew Brees. Drew Brees is going to go to the Hall of Fame. So we know that impediment can be overcome. What else? What else do we have on the A.J. McCarron profile? Well, here's the thing. At Alabama, A.J. McCarron posted an 87.1, 91st percentile QBR with almost exclusively pass expected points added, not rush expected points added. So A.J. McCarron is an efficient thrower of the football. We'll start there. Why don't we start there? I know it's great to talk about all the extraneous details about A.J. McCarron, but if we actually get down and talk about where and when did A.J. McCarron play football, a bigger sample size than just one game last week with the Bengals, when and where did A.J. McCarron play football for an extended period of time, and how well did he do that? I think that's the question. Isn't that what matters when talking about A.J. McCarron? And the bottom line is, he played really well. He was excellent above the 90th percentile facing SEC defenses. That's A.J. McCarron. Like it or not, like his mom or not, like his arm sleeves or not, that's what he is. 10.1 yards per attempt in the SEC was also above the 90th percentile. And he was given the keys to the Alabama offense at 19 years old. So he broke out at 19.8 years old, 78th percentile. A.J. McCarron was a prodigy coming to Alabama, and then he became a superstar college quarterback champion who was in the running for a Heisman Trophy. That's what A.J. McCarron is, yet I hear very little about the intrinsic quality of A.J. McCarron as a thrower of the football. Then you ask, well, A.J. McCarron strikes me as just a game manager. We talked about this on the Football Die Hard show yesterday. Go to Google, go to iTunes, go to wherever you go to look for podcasts and look for Die Hard's podcast, Football Die Hard's podcast with Matt Kelly and subscribe. And you can listen to my analysis of the whole concept, my breakdown of the whole concept of what is a game manager at the NFL level. Game managers win Super Bowls. Game managers can be QB1s in fantasy. Game managers can elevate wide receivers around them to WR1 status. Jarvis Landry is a WR1 this year with Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, who has a yards per attempt under seven in his fourth year in the league. Ryan Tannehill is the new poster child for what it means to be a game manager. So why can't A.J. McCarron be like Andy Dalton? What is the big difference between A.J. McCarron and Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton's not very big either. Andy Dalton's not Ben Roethlisberger, 6'5", 240. Andy Dalton also has a slight frame and isn't particularly tall. So why can't A.J. McCarron just be as good as Andy Dalton? His college numbers were as good as Andy Dalton. I don't understand why A.J. McCarron can't simply be an opportunist game manager like Andy Dalton. So I think that is absolutely in his range of outcomes. And one of the reasons why is because A.J. McCarron, like Andy Dalton, has A.J. Green. And I'm holding and playing A.J. Green. Because we've seen the number one wide receiver does not necessarily take a step back 
when there's a quarterback downgrade. Look at DeAndre Hopkins in Houston going from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Brian Hoyer. We talked about Jarvis Landry. Look at T.Y. Hilton. Two of T.Y. Hilton's top three fantasy performances this year have come with Matt Hasselbeck. So I am not degrading A.J. Green at all moving forward with A.J. McCarron. I'm playing my A.J.'s. I'm playing A.J. McCarron against San Francisco, which gives up 21.1 fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks, and I'm playing A.J. Green. If I'm going to discount anyone, it's going to be the other members of the passing game. They typically do receive a degraded fantasy point output when the quarterback gets worse. So Marvin Jones, he needs to be discounted. Tyler Eifert, he needs to be discounted. But I'm playing my AJs, baby.